Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. The uh, title of the talk is um, What Channel Are You Tuned To? I was with some friends yesterday who were passing through town and they uh, stayed over at, um, at our house last night. Um, Craig and Devin, a uh, lovely couple, deep practitioners, um, very dedicated, and um, doing wonderful things in the world. Uh, and um, Craig, one of the things that he does is that he uh, goes into um, uh, hospitals and um, as part of his, uh, he's interning as a part of his uh, psych, uh, psychotherapy practice. He's just about to get his doctorate. Um, and he works with disturbed individuals people who are uh, there in kind of the emergency area because they're um, harming themselves or suicidal or uh, just really um, very uh, unstable mentally. And he, he loves what he does, and he's, I know uh, that he's good at it. Um, uh, and... He was sharing. I said, "Well, you know, tell me about, you know, what it's like. You know, you 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 love that. That's such a that's such frontline work. It must be exhausting." And he says, uh, "Well, it demands a lot of energy and attention, but uh, but every now and then you see something that just really uh, amazes you as to the possibilities of of the human experience." And I, I said, oh, yeah, well, well, tell me, like, give me an example. And particularly, uh, they're both very uh, strong practitioners, and they use, they use the practice in their own way. Um, and he said, well, one of the most inspiring um, encounters in recent times was this woman who came in her life was a complete mess. She, uh, her partner is, was a, a, a crack addict who would uh, continually steal from her. And um, uh, one thing after another, it was like really bad to begin with. And she was um, going through uh, some real mental instability as well. And she came into, he saw her, she had um, tried to take her life with opioids. And, um, and there he was, this woman just saying, there's no reason for me to live. And he could understand why she'd think that way. He was with her for a little while, and then um, he noticed that 
there was a Bible near her on the bed. And he said, hmm, is that yours? And she said, oh, yeah, it's, it's my Bible. I take it wherever I go. And he said, oh, really? He said, yeah. he said uh, hmm, any, uh, any particular passages that you like? And uh, she, she mentioned, oh, yeah, it, it turned out as he opened up, it was completely underlined like everywhere and highlighted. He said, well, how about just picking out a, a passage? And she picked from one psalm, uh, and she said, I really like this one. And he said, um, would, you t- would you do me a favor and, uh, and read it to me? And um, she had, uh, she was completely like flat and and lifeless. Uh, but then she started reading the psalm and the passage, and she just started coming back to life. And she was she was really feeling it, and her whole mood started to lift. And she said, and he said, wow, that's beautiful. And then they, they were talking for a while and then, uh, she started to go down again and he said, um, any other passage that you could read? (laughs) And this time, I think it was the second time. I'm not sure if it was two or three times that it happened, but this one time he said, just just read it and, you know, just, uh, I want to hear what's, what's behind there and the, the, the meaning of the words. And she started reading it as, uh, as if um, Jesus was reading it. And uh, he said, something amazing happened. As she kept on reading it, it wasn't like she was reading something that was comforting to her. She, at some point, was embodying the words and the spirit, and she was she come to life, and it was like God was sharing the words. And... It was a very amazing space that they both shared. And, and as he talked about it, she, he, he said, you know, he was in that space sharing all the things that she has to live for and all the goodness in life and all the, um, all the glory in life. And she just kind of talked herself out of that space that she was in, who knows how long it lasted, because he didn't see her again, but they were both in this field of very powerful presence and energy. And all he did was ask her to read this passage and feel what had touched her heart so many times. And there it was, not only coming to life, but being um, 
a, a living embodiment of, of, of um, glory and blessing. He said it was like Jesus was just filling her spirit. And uh, as, we, as he shared that with, with us and we, we talked about it, and uh, not just about that, but just about the capacity of the human mind or the human heart to go anywhere. And if left to its own devices it often tends to go towards greed, hatred, and delusion, or attachment, aversion, and ignorance. Not always, thank goodness, but particularly when we get confused and contracted and negative, it tends often to go that way. But it doesn't have to go that way. And as you you know, perhaps know the opening lines in the in the Dhammapada verses of the Buddhas, um, the Buddha says, this is very, very, very famous um, lines, we are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with an impure or confused mind and trouble will follow you as the wheel follows the ox that draws the cart. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world speak or act with a pure or clear mind or heart. And happiness will follow you as your shadow, unshakable, how can a troubled mind understand the, wor- the way? Your worst enemy cannot harm you as much as your own thoughts unguarded. But once mastered, no one can help you as much, not even your father or your mother. We are what we think with our thoughts we make the world. Another translation often is, uh, mind is the forerunner of all things. It's amazing how malleable our minds are. I remember being around a, a one, uh, one teacher who said, the mind is like silly putty. That's how he expressed it. And I, I've used that image for decades. It, it, can be, it can be shaped in any way. And if you understand that, then you're in on the, the possible malleability instead of the subject the, the being at the affect of this, of habits of mind. <clears throat> and just to show you how uh, easily the mind can affect our whole system um, I'll do just a, a very quick exercise with you. Um, close your eyes for a moment. Mm, I'll, I'll do it in the, the way I often done, have done it. I've, I've done this here before, so 
Some of you are familiar with this. But I'll just say a word and notice what happens. Trouble. Trouble. Notice how it feels inside. Any images there might be. Notice how it feels in your body. Trouble. I won't leave you here. Take a nice breath. Clean the black clean the board, you know. And I'll say another word. Again, close your eyes. Kindness. Kindness. Just notice how it feels, any images, any associations, just how it feels in your body. Kindness. Okay, you can open your eyes if you'd like. Notice any difference between the two? So those are just two words just from my mind plopped into the, the field, into your consciousness, and it has a big effect. Can you imagine, just get a sense, if you are replaying certain thoughts over and over and over. You know, that SOB really did that. Oh, what a beautiful being they are. As the Buddha says in one of my favorite passages, I've mentioned it here before, and Majima Nikaya number 19, he says, whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of their mind. Or as it's said in modern neuroscience, neurons that fire together, wire together. And if the mind is like silly putty, and it can be shaped in any way, it's particularly important what energy field you surround yourself with. When there's fear or anger or shame or aversion, or doubt, the mind gets shaped in a very um, predictable way, unless there's a lot of practice. If there is love, if there's kindness, if there's inspiration, again, over time, it gets shaped in, uh, in a very different way. This is, uh, again, from the Buddha, a famous uh, statement, drop by drop is the water pot filled. Likewise, the wise person gathering it little by little fills themselves with good. And there's a, it's a famous image. You put a, a, a bucket under a dripping spigot. Each drop doesn't look like it's a whole lot, but you keep it under that spigot and it gets filled and that's how habits get created. 
And that is why the Buddha, particularly knowing how susceptible we are to our environment, um, one of the main instructions that he has is keep the company of the wise, avoid the company of the foolish as best you can. It would be wonderful. It was just wise people that were filling our life all around, you know. You up the odds a bit if you come here on a Thursday night or if you, you know, let's hope so. And, you know, or listening out there wherever you're, you're listening uh, as, as you listen to this talk. Um, and where he said that like-minded friendship, the famous statement you've, many of you heard many times, uh, Ananda saying, it seems that having good friends is half of the holy life. And the Buddha saying, not so, Ananda, not so. Having good friends is the whole of the holy life. Because we are so susceptible to our environment. <coughs> and we have these mirror neurons that resonate with whatever it is that we're uh, we're exposed to. Uh, I've I've said this before. I, I often think of human beings as just a little bit depersonalizing the, the whole human interaction, but think of us each as transmitter-receiver energy units <laughs> of life. We're just going around. This is my this little bundle of life called James that is continually receiving from around me and sending out whether or not I realize it around me, whatever vibes I happen to be. And we're continually taking in and giving off and affecting each other. You know, the, the, inter, the, the concept of interconnectedness, it's not just an idea. It's happening all the time. You know, like, uh, what is it, the butterfly effect, that the uh, butterfly fly flapping its wings in South America uh, can be contributing to a tornado in, uh, in Western Europe because it's all interconnected. A powerful butterfly. No, I'm just kidding. Everything counts. And in, um, in our Dharma practice, uh, it's, it is really um, important to, uh, to consider our environment, uh, particularly when, when our own practice isn't deeply rooted and strong. There's an image um, that I love, I read about it in, in, in my book, of a tender sapling that when you're first starting practice, uh, thinking of yourself as a tender sapling where um, at the beginning, just this, this shoot, this, this uh, young baby tree planted in the soil, and at, the, at first it has to be really tended carefully with a fence around it 
so it keep it safe from deer and other animals, uh, getting just the right amount of, of water, just the right amount of sunlight, not too much, not too little, because it's so fragile. And when it gets rooted, when the roots grow deeper and it becomes first a young, vibrant tree, you don't have to protect it as much. And then when it grows to maturity and becomes a strong tree, not only can it withstand all the elements, but it becomes shade and protection for anyone around it. And the Buddha uses that example of the beginning in our practice to really tend to it carefully and not be around people or as much as you can help it who uh, doubt your practice or who say, you know, that's a stupid thing to do. You know, that's a waste of time, you know, staring at your navel or, you know, going on a silent retreat for, for three days or three months. You know, what's the point of that? Because it can... Uh, create some doubts inside. He said, be around people who are going to support your practice. And particularly at this time, when there's fear, anxiety, apprehension in the air, divisiveness, othering. It's especially important at this time to make sure that your sapling or tree, to whatever extent it's, it's grown within you, is nourished and protected and moved and inspired to bring the best out of us. Particularly in, in our world these days, and uh, probably many of you are familiar with this, there are um, two main paradigms that come out of uh, family, uh, family process. There's the, uh, when, we're, when we're needing support, or apprehensive, or anxious. There's the, uh, the father model that is going to protect us, the strong authoritarian model that says, just trust me, I'll take care of you. And it's very compelling when we're in the middle of fear and confusion and uncertainty, or desperation. And then there's the, of course, the, the mother figure of compassion, the nurturer, the, the good-hearted that speaks to the place in us that needs to be nourished and supported a different kind of protection. But 
in times when there's a lot of fear, the the father authoritarian one speaks to uh, many people, particularly if they've been brought up in that kind of a, a circumstance where their own nurturing isn't strong enough or it's foreign or it's not the model of being tough. And the important thing, I think, in this time is for the, uh, I've mentioned this before, for the strong, the fierce, the, the divine, sacred feminine to come through all of us as practitioners. It's, it's, it's not enough to be a sweet, kind nurturer because these are tough times. And there's Kali, who is very fierce with her compassion, with blood dripping skulls from, from her necklace and just going to devour anything that gets in the way of, of the highest the highest values. But Kali, at some point, turns into Durga. Uh, But we need that Kali as well. We need the fierce compassion and the fierce and the strong, courageous, brave development of the feminine in our culture. And I think we maybe many people would agree we probably have enough testosterone on the on the other side uh in particularly in in our cultures so getting back to this idea of staying in touch with what is good with what inspires with what gives us courage with with what brings forth fierce compassion and courage, um, we need to know how to tune into that channel. And we need to be inspired by others who do. That's why it's so amazing how malleable we are. We need heroes. The, The human heart needs heroes needs, we seek inspiration. That's why movies are are so popular. You want to go to a movie or read a book and say, yeah, come on, you're rooting for them. And when they succeed, you know, against all odds, ah, yeah. We get inspired, uplifted, the elevation response, as I think Jonathan Haidt uh, coined it. So I wanted to share with you a little bit of, of um, the inspiration, uh, things that have inspired me, and maybe you get in touch with what inspires you as well. And when, when by the way, just to see when there's enough of a collective inspiration, I, I just wrote this, uh, this article, Holding Hands Together, in, for the, in the Huffington Post, about, and I meant, talked about it a couple of weeks ago, when you're holding hands, then there's a whole field that happens that, uh, that can make a real difference. And we just saw this the other day without getting into the politics of it all. 
I thought it was so fascinating that almost doing away with ethics uh, whoops I think I made a mistake uh, we made a mistake on second thought we won't do away with the ethics oversight not so fast okay I think we got it all because there was such an outrageous response. No, you can't do this. And against the forces of power that said, we're going to do whatever we want, things changed. That's a very important moment for us all to keep in mind that the forces of good and, and consciousness and fierce compassion ultimately are much stronger than the forces of fear. And this is uh, from Dan Rather, who is really pretty cool these days. <laughs> I've share this with, I think it's like hundreds of thousands of people have shared this if you haven't seen it I, I put it in, my, in that article at the end of the article Dan Rather now is the time when none of us can afford to remain seated or silent we must all stand up to be counted history will demand to know which side were you on but as I stand I do not despair because I believe the vast majority of Americans stand with me your voices must be heard. To all of you, I say, stay vigilant. The great Martin Luther King Jr. knew that even as a minority, there was strength in numbers, in fighting tyranny, holding hands and marching forward, raising your voice above the din of complacency can move mountains. <clears throat> we need heroes, and a lot of... What inspires us is alignment with what's good and what's right and what's upright. Sila in the Buddhist teachings, the foundation for inner peace, to stay connected to the good. We have that in us. In, in, the, in the Buddhist psychology, there uh, are various wholesome states and unwholesome states and Two wholesome states, some of you heard this before, are in Pali, Hiri and Otapam. Hiri, translated often as moral shame, and Otapam as moral dread. Kind of, not very inspiring labels, but they're another name for conscience. We have in us a conscience that loves the truth, and that when we're out of alignment with it, it, it doesn't feel, we feel off, as the word is usually put. We feel off, and we're inspired by what is right, and what is true, and what is aligned, and what is good. There's a part of us that loves goodness, I was with somebody um, doing a Skype call uh, with somebody uh, last week, and um, 
It was the first time I saw, uh, I was with them on Skype. They, they had sat with me and, and uh, moving, moving her, um, uh, her laptop and she went, uh, I, I could see her, a bit of her room. And there was this, this big picture of Audrey Hepburn. From uh, Breakfast of Tiffany at Tiffany's, and uh, I don't know if, how you feel about Audrey Hepburn. If you're old enough to, to know Audrey Hepburn, but she does it for me. I mean, I mean, besides the fact that she's beautiful, there is such a goodness to her, and she was she became a UN ambassador, and I might not get through this talk. <laughs> Completely there because there's a few other things I want to share, mm-hmm. and I I, I I well I don't well up very much when there's bad things that happen. I I, I actually I don't, uh, but goodness touches me, and I said, oh, like Audrey Hepburn, yeah, and uh, and we both just kind of celebrated that goodness. And then I said, uh, a few other people, I said, well, Julie Andrews also does it for me. <laughs> and she said, and she hadn't, I said, she hadn't been so familiar with Julie Andrews. Said, Sound of music? She said, I never saw it. <laughs> she said, I guess I should see it. I, I can just see, I just think about Julie Andrews. <laughs> Pete Seeger does it for me. Danny Kay. Five seconds of It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> Michelle Obama. There's so much goodness in the world. And we, when we can tune into that goodness, it's not just out in them, it's, it's in us. It's right in us. Uh, I'll read to you uh, in, in my book, one passage, I don't know if I'll get through this, but I'll just see it, about my, my heroes. Mm. Uh, I saw these qualities in my childhood heroes, Fiorella LaGuardia, Lou Gehrig, and Gandhi. Ever see the, uh, uh, there was a play, Fiorello, on Broadway when I was young, and that's where I first got into him. And you can see some, some clips of, of him. LaGuardia was mayor of New York in the early 1940s when I wasn't yet born, but I learned about him when I was a kid. One of my favorite stories was of a time when he was officiating in misdemeanor court in New York City. A man who had stolen bread to feed his family came before him charged as a thief. LaGuardia fined the man $10.00.
and then turned to the courtroom and said, I'm fining everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for, being, for living in a city where a man has to steal bread in order to eat. The defendant left with, with $47.50 in his pocket. Goodness just, it brings out something so beautiful in us and gives us courage to do things that we didn't know were possible. So we have to sometimes remind ourselves of the goodness around and the goodness inside. You know, I, I'll read this passage. I know I've read it before, um, but it just bears repeating, especially for those who haven't heard it before. In the Babemba tribe of Africa, when a person acts irresponsibly or unjustly, he's placed in the center of the village alone and unfettered. All work ceases, and every man, woman, and child in the village gathers in a large circle around the accused individual. Then each person in the tribe speaks to the accused one at a time, each recalling the good things the person in the center of the circle has done in his lifetime. Every incident Every experience that can be recalled with any detail and accuracy is recounted. All his positive attributes, good deeds, strengths, and kindnesses are recited carefully and at length. This tribal ceremony often lasts for several days. At the end, the tribal circle is broken, a joyous celebration takes place, and the person is symbolically and literally welcomed back into the tribe. We need to be reminded of our goodness when we forget. And that's, it's kind of, in, in, as I call this, this talk, uh, what, what do I call it? What channel are you tuned to? It's like you want to be, not bury your head in the, stat, in the sand, but keep on tuning into what brings out the best in you so you can hold all the, the difficulties and the challenges and the pain and the suffering and the sorrow. It, it makes it a much bigger container. That's what we do when we're doing metta practice. You know, you might have a whole lot of anger or confusion or irritation. You do some metta, even if it seems forced, even if it seems like just rote, but you're doing it, you're inclining towards the goodness inside of you. In the same way that prayer works. You know, whether or not, who knows who's listening, but you align yourself with the highest forces, and instead of, God damn, why did this happen? Like, please help. Please help me. May all the goodness in the world, whether you call it God or the Dharma or whatever, may it, may, may I align with it. And right there, your mind and your heart are aligned. And just like that, that woman uh, in, in, that, uh, in that hospital, 
oh, yes, the Spirit is back in me. One of the things that, um, that we need to do or that can help in aligning ourselves with that goodness is not missing it as it's coming to us. And this was a, a practice that, um, that Craig, uh, uh, that fellow, has done a lot and that uh, I've, I've found very helpful uh, that comes out of John McCransky, a, a Tibetan teacher's um, teachings of seeing everybody as your benefactor. And when somebody smiles at you or opens a door for you or says, hey, hi, how are you? How are you doing today? To not miss it and to really connect with that good energy coming to you and... I find it helpful to see them as an agent of life letting you know that you're loved. And once you start tuning into all the good energy coming your way instead of, oh, that's wrong and that's wrong and yeah, that, I can't believe what's happening now in the papers. Or, to take in and be nourished by all the goodness coming your way one of the main obstacles I've been finding in recent years is um, it's very difficult for so many people to let in the love. It's so much easier often to share it, to want to extend your love, but to let in the love. For many people, it's either dangerous or will I be overwhelmed or do I deserve it or whatever. For whatever reasons, Letting it in is a very important thing to do. And as I've said this before, you let it in. Once you start opening up to it, you, there's so much coming your way, you can't hold it all. So the only thing to do is just send it right back out. And be a, what I call a meta-recycling machine. You know? <laughs> but you have to let it in. And the more you can let it in and the more you can see that in you, tune into that channel, tune into that on your dial, the more you then start to help awaken it in everybody else. And what we need these days is for all of us to become agents of goodness. Not weak, not namby-pamby, not fluffy. Sacred warriors, Shambhala warriors, as Trungpa Rinpoche used to call it. You become a warrior for the good. And in that warriorship, you then bring it out in everyone around. And we need as much as we can to bring out the best in others, to believe in them, to see it, to look for it, and then they just pass it on. So, um, uh, just to close, uh, I'd like to just uh, lead you through, uh, through a little bit of exercise, an exercise that this John McCransky uh, sometimes does or teaches about uh, 
uh, a caring, a caring figure practice. Okay, so invite you to close your eyes and um, think of someone who you've received a lot of um, good energy and love, not complicated energy if possible, but but a, a genuine feeling of receiving that kind of care and love just because it naturally came out of their hearts when they were with you because you deserve it. And when you think of that being, remember when you were in their presence. It can be a pet. It can be a, a child. It can be a mentor. It can be a, a benefactor or a dear friend. Just remember what it was like to receive their Genuine, sincere love. Remember where you were. The setting. And most of all, the energy that came your way and how natural and deserving that they thought you were of it. Just let yourself relax into that. Remember how it felt in your body. In your mind and in your heart. Just relax into that and celebrate that you've received some genuine, beautiful, meta, kind energy from life. Because you were worthy of it. Don't let the mind get in the way, but just to to know that that was not an accident. Let yourself just enjoy this channel. And see how it just opens and brings out the best in you. And that it's available to you at any moment, even those moments that you've forgotten, sometimes in your most desperate moments, like that woman uh, in the hospital, just remembering again, oh yes, I'm a child of God or the Dharma 
I'm part of life. And see this as a gift, not only to take in, but that you give to everybody in your world, the more you cultivate it. Not to have unrealistic expectations, but just to know the more you tune into this channel, the more you incline your mind and your heart and become an agent of that gift to everybody you meet. And just as we close, just imagine what it might be like if more and more you had access to this channel and tuned in and remembered who you really are. And if that seems like a a worthwhile thing to do, uh, just to plant the intention or the seed to help bring out the best in you for not only yourself, but for everybody you know. And we'll close with a, since it's just about time to go, we'll close right here with a a brief loving kindness practice. May all beings stay connected to their goodness. May they share their kindness and their compassion in a courageous way with the world. May they have fierce compassion and loving goodness. And may our coming here together ripple out and be of benefit to all beings everywhere. May all beings know the highest happiness and peace. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.